All right, well, if you got your Bibles, please turn them to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to be taking a look at verse 3 today. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 3. Well, we as humans here today, we are different in a lot of ways. I'm looking out here, I see lots of different people from many different walks of life. Everyone in here, we all have different DNA, which gives us a lot of different personalities. Everyone in here has very different personalities. You have a Bob Miller that's very bombastic all over the place. He could preach without any mic. And then we have people who are more reserved, more laid back. And God made us all different. Um, Abdiel, he has like two different personalities. If you've seen him last week, Captain Baboso. He was a different man. He was a different man last week than he is this morning. Maybe it's because he was saved on the last night. I don't know what it was. But he is a different man than he is now. Even Chris, Captain Chris, people, even after the first night, they came up to me and was like, who, who was that guy? Like, like, who was that church member? I was like, oh, that was, you know, our assistant pastor. That was Chris Bear as our assistant pastor. What? No way. But we all have different DNA. We all have different personalities. We all definitely look different. As I look out, I see many people look very different. If you look at the person next to you, you'd probably be like, you know what? I'm glad I don't look like that person. <laughs> I know there's a couple of you in here. It's like, I'm glad I don't look like you. We all look different. We have different fingerprints, at least so they say. Um, there was one night. Nowadays, all cell phones have, seems like almost every cell phone has a fingerprint scanner. And so mine has one. And one night, I think we were just on the sofa or whatever, and all of a sudden, my mom takes my phone. She needs to look up somebody's number or something. She goes to my phone. She puts her finger on the scanner, scans it, unlocks my phone. <laughs> I was like, what? She didn't think anything about it. Uh, she just went on, you know, went to look for the phone. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, hold up. I said, did, how did you, how did, did you unlock my phone? And she was like, yeah, why? I was like, that's a fingerprint scanner. Like, these things are unique right here. My thumbprint is supposed to be unique. How did you get into my phone? I said, did you, did you put, did you put your fingerprint in my phone so you could look at, she's like, no. I was like, okay. I said, do it again. She does it again. And again, I was like, what is this? How in the world is she unlocking my phone? But they say we all have different fingerprints. I believe them, kind of. <laughs> but we all have different fingerprints. We're all different. Everyone in this room is different in a lot of ways. But at the same time, we're similar in a lot of ways. Everyone in this room is made in the image of God. I don't care what you look like, what skin color you have, how tall you are, anything. We're all made in the image of God. Another way that we're similar, we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone in this room is a sinner. And finally, we're all going to die one day. Everyone in this room is going to have a day when their heart stops beating, when they stop breathing, and they are going to pass away on to our other life, either heaven or hell. We're all going to die one day. So we're different in a lot of ways, and we're similar in a lot of ways. We're going to be taking a look at the life 
of Jonah. And I absolutely love the life of Jonah. One, it's a really short book, so that's always really nice. It's only about four chapters long, so that's always nice for me. If you got a kid's Bible like I do, it has pictures in there, which makes it even better. (laughs) You look at that, and it's nice and short. It has pictures in it. It's great. We all have heard the story of Jonah uh, being eaten by the whale, and it's a great story. But one of the things about Jonah's life is we really get to see in the Bible, lots of times we get to have our lives model somebody because of what they have done. But in the life of Jonah, many times we look at his life and he really had a lot of problems in a lot of different areas. I mean, looking at the life of Jonah, he rebelled, he ran, he, he did all these terrible things. And even after he went to Nineveh, after finally he went and preached a message of judgment on those people of Nineveh, even after that, he still wasn't in God's will. He was still angry and mad at God. But many times I look at that life and I'm like, man, that is, many times that is me. And many times, many of us in this room, we look at the life of Jonah and we like to scold him and say, well, man, how could he not go? But yet I look at my life and I see the many times that I failed him. And when I failed to go, when I failed to follow God's will for my life. So I like looking at the life of Jonah because it shows me that God can use us and he will use us despite ourselves. But you know what? Today I want to be used because I'm doing his will. I don't want to be somebody like Jonah who rebelled. And that's what I'm going to be talking about here today is rebellion. Rebelling against God because I believe rebellion is in many ways a common characteristics in us Christians. Obviously, I work with teenagers a lot of times, and the teenage years are often known as the rebellious years. Uh, That's when they tend to leave the church. That's when they tend to uh, disobey their parents and kind of go their own way and do their own thing. But many times, us in this room as Christians, we rebel, rebel against God just like any teenager would their parents. So that's what I'm going to be looking at here today. And let's learn from these mistakes. Let's learn from these mistakes that Jonah made in regards to rebelling against God so that we don't repeat them and that we don't have to have those same punishments that Jonah had to face. So let's go ahead and read Jonah chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to preach here this morning. Um, Some weird circumstances and everything, Lord, but that just knows that you would, for whatever reason, somebody in this room needs this message here this morning. I pray that you would just be with me as I deliver it. Help me to speak clearly. Help me to not just say things out of my own mouth, out of my own mind, Lord, but that it would come from you here this morning. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the first thing that we're going to be looking at here today is that there was an attempt to flee. And there was an attempt to flee. Now, this was a very human reaction that Jonah had. I'm sure many of us in this room have heard that You know, Nineveh was a wicked, awful, terrible 
place. And I've heard that ever since I was a kid, but you know what? In Sunday school, they don't really go deep into how wicked they were and what they had done. Well, ever since the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, ever since the very first people on this earth, people have been trying to flee God. The human reaction when God tells us to do something that we don't want to do, we want to flee, we want to go away from him. Ever since the very beginning when Adam and Eve was there in the Garden of Eden, they could have eaten of any fruit there in the garden. Uh, The world was a perfect place. There were perfect people. They could have done anything that they wanted to. God just had one rule. Do not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the only rule that they had to abide by. That was the only rule that they had to do other than keep care of the garden and everything. But the only thing that God told them not to do, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did it anyways. They did it anyways. They decided to rebel against God and they didn't want to have any rules. They wanted to do their own thing, go their own way. And they rebelled against God and they looked at that fruit and they took it and they ate it. As soon as they sinned, they realized a lot of things about themselves. First off, they realized that they were naked and that they had to get clothing on and that as soon as they did that, they decided to try to flee, try to hide from God. Try to hide their sin from him. Obviously, God was able to find them. God is everywhere. God knows all things. God was able to see where they were, but they tried to run. It didn't make them, didn't stop them from attempting to flee God and to flee his presence. Jonah's reaction was no different than Adam and Eve. When he realized what Jesus, was, what God was trying to have him do to go to that city of Nineveh, to preach a message of judgment on those people of Nineveh, he ran because he knew who those people were. He knew what they did and he decided to run, get as far away from them as they can. And there was a reason for this. Like I said, I looked up a couple different things. Well, what was so actually bad about the people of Nineveh. Well, first off, the people of Nineveh were Assyrians, and there was many wicked things about the Assyrians. Yes, Nineveh was a wicked, terrible place, and there's many reasons why. It was the capital city there of the Assyrians, and at this time, they were pretty much feared by the entire known world at that point. They were feared by pretty much everyone, Everyone, as soon as the Assyrians would come, they would be scared, they would be nervous. And there's many different reasons why, and the reasons why is because of the way that they tortured people. These people were just, they thought of the, the most wicked, terrible, awful, painful ways that they could torture their enemies. Uh, one of these was that they would take their victims into the middle of a desert, they would bury them up to their head to where only just their head was just above ground, and the scorching heat, bury them alive, the scorching heat, and they would just sit there, and it said that many times the person who was buried that was cooking there in the desert would eventually just go crazy before they ended up dying off. Another thing that they did is one that they would capture an enemy's king. They would take that king, and they kind of wanted to, to show him off a little bit show them off to their city. So what they would do is they would take the enemy's king, the enemy's 
uh, first man in charge, the man in charge, they would take that man and they would parade him throughout the city with a cart. He would be carrying a cart and many times with that king, they would pull out his tongue. Many times they would take off some of his fingers, take off some of his limbs and just completely mutilate the guy, humiliate him in front of all of these people just to show him, we're the Assyrians, we're the Ninevites, you better not mess with us. And one of the reasons why is because their, their army was different. Uh, their army was different than many of the other armies in that time. And the reason why is that it was known that the Assyrians would travel in a group. They'd actually travel with their families, which was unique. It was different. Many reasons, many people believe that that was the reason why the Babylonians eventually took them over because they would travel really slow, but it was a big group of people. They would take their whole family, and as they would travel, the enemy cities would see them coming from a long ways away, and they'd see the massive group, and they knew who it was. Those are the Assyrians. Those are the people that we do not want to be caught by because they will torture us, and they will just murder us all. And so what would happen is it was written down in some of these history books that it was known that some of these cities, a whole city would commit suicide before they would even fight. They knew we do not want to be caught by the Assyrians, so the whole city would commit suicide rather than be caught by the Assyrians, rather than to be caught by the people of Nineveh. They were a wicked, terrible city. And the reason why Jonah, I mean, why would Jonah want to go to them? Why would Jonah want to preach a message of repentance? Why would Jonah want to tell these people about Jesus? Jonah wanted to have nothing to do with these people. It's very likely that his family was possibly killed by the people that were there in Nineveh, by the Assyrians. Another reason why he wouldn't want to go to them. Why would he want to go to these people? Why would he want to tell them about Jesus? Why in the world would God want to give these people a chance to repent? That's what Jonah was thinking. What? It doesn't make any sense, Lord. Why would you want me to do this? Do you not know who these people are? And so that was one reason why the people were wicked, the people were awful, the people were terrible. I don't want to go and preach that message that Jesus Christ is, is going to judge them one day. He didn't want them to have a chance to repent. Another reason why he fled from Nineveh is because... Yeah, he didn't want them to repent. He wanted to see them burn. The Lord said, I'm just going to burn up the city in 40 days. And that Jonah was like, that's exactly what I want you to do, Lord. I want to see these people burn. I want to see these people pay for all their sins that they committed against the world and against you. That's what I want. His plans was different than the Lord's. Because it makes sense. Because many times our plans, the way that the Bible says that we should live our life, is in many ways contrary to our nature. And it is. Our natural man doesn't want to do the things of God. Same thing with Jonah. He didn't want to preach repentance to these people. He wanted to see them burn. He didn't want to preach that message of repentance, that message of judgment to those people. Another reason was because Jonah was out of the will of God. Jonah wanted to flee because he was out of the will of God. 
if you're out of the will of God this morning, if you aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing, I mean, many, there's many people out here today, we get calls all the time. You know, hey, why aren't you out at church? Oh, you know, this, that, and the other. And they always try to make excuses. Oh, this, this, this person's in town, that person. This has happened in my life, that has happened in my life. And it really all boils down to they're out of the will of God. Most of the time, the reason why they're not in this church here today is because they're not doing what the Lord wants them to do. And thankfully, we do get some that come back. Sometimes it takes many years, but they come back and they say, you know what? I wasn't doing what was right. I was out of the Lord's will. I had this sin in my life, that sin in my life. And they come, eventually come back. And thankfully, they do. And they say, you know, the biggest reason why I ran from church I didn't want to be under the preaching of God's word because I was out of the Lord's will. That's what happened to the prodigal son. He didn't want to do what his father had him do, so he's like, you know what, I'm just going to take my money and run. And eventually he came back. He realized that was the wrong way to go. Yeah, sure, he had some fun for a little bit of time. Oh, he definitely did. He had some fun, but eventually he had nothing. And he goes back to the father. He's like, please, just... Forgive me. You didn't say accept me back in your house. Just forgive me for the wicked things that I've done, uh, the, the family that I've, I've defiled, all these things. And he looks at him and he says, you know, forgive me. The reason why he ran is because he wasn't pleasing his father. The reason why Jonah ran was because he was not in the center of God's will. Another reason why Jonah probably decided to run, because it's interesting, but this kind of particular call never really came before. You see, in the Old Testament, the way that people would come to know Jesus Christ was that they would go to the temple. People from all out of the, all out of the area would come and would come to the temple and would worship God. So it was more of a religion of come and see. Uh, Come and see who Jesus is. Come and see what he has done. Come and see and then confess of your sins and and to offer your sacrifices. It was more of a come and see religion. But in the New Testament, like it is today, Jesus Christ goes and tells us, hey, go out there, tell others about Jesus. But at this point, there wasn't a whole lot of people that Jesus said to go out and tell others about him. It was more so a come in and see. So when Jonah got this, it was a little different then the typical call that Jesus gave to come and see it was a, a go and tell others. And so that was another reason why he probably fled. The people were wicked. The people were awful. The people were terrible. Probably, possibly killed off his family. That was terrible. Uh, Jonah fled because he was out of the will of God. And Jonah fled because this kind of call was really new to Jonah's life. So that was the first thing. It was a call to do something uncomfortable, a call to do something different. Point number two, an alternative was found. Jonah didn't want to go. Jonah didn't want to obey God's will, so he found an alternative. What am I going to do now? What am I going to do to get away from this calling? An alternative was found. In the middle of verse three, we see the words, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. This is exactly what the devil does in our life. 
He's always going to have a ship going the opposite direction of God's will. There's always going to be a temptation to go the exact opposite way, to do the exact opposite thing of what Jesus Christ wants us to do. The devil's always going to make sure that there's choices. There's never going to be a time in our life where we make a choice where there's not going to be other things that we can do. Going to buy a car, there's going to be many different choices of how you're going to finance a car, buying a house. There's always choices in life that we're going to have to make, and that's what the devil wants us to do with our spiritual choices. He's going to give us opportunities to get out of the will of God, to get out of exactly what he wants us to do. There's an alternative that was found, and many times we like to spiritualize these decisions, and we say, well, look at this opportunity that the Lord has given me to to go work at this job out of state, or let's look at this opportunity to go serve in a church. That's a good thing. Uh, Look, I'm going to go serve in this church. I'm going to do this, and it's going to be a great thing, and then we look at that, and we like to spiritualize it. Well, the Lord opened up this door for me to go and to do that thing, but Question is, are you really sure? Is that the Lord that's telling you, that's asking you to open up that door and go into it? I have lots of friends today that are not in the will of God. They worse, they start off as ministerial. Uh, they started off as a preacher boy. They had uh, great testimonies. They had a clear calling. They had the ability. They had everything that they had to be able to go and to tell, oh man, fantastic preachers, phenomenal speaker, just could do some great things for the Lord, but today they did something different. They say, well, uh, this happened in my life or that happened in my life or this opportunity opened up that I can work for, for my dad with his company that he's owned for years. And right now they're not in the will of God. Many of my friends, I've had friends that got married to the wrong person got divorced in less than a year. I had friends that are married twice already out of school. It took them about two years and they got, went through a couple different wives already. And they ran into that decision. They rest that decision. They say, well, this, uh, she wasn't really who I thought she was or this, that. And I look at that. It was just like, just how? There's men who are at the wrong church right now that have left the church because they rushed into a decision. They said, well, the Lord opened up this door for me to go serve at this place or go travel with this ministry. And then they get into it and they're like, man, this isn't the place for me to be. You know what? Because even the devil will open up doors that seem good, that seem enticing, but it's not where the Lord wants them to be. Eve reasoned, at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, she said, the, the, the tree, the, the fruit, it was good for food and that was pleasant unto the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. I mean, look at that fruit. That's a good looking fruit. I'm sure that'll taste really good. It's gonna make me wise. Why wouldn't God, God would want me to be wise, right? And she looked at that. That's all good things. Those are all great things. And yes, but that wasn't in the Lord's will. It was a good thing, yes, but it wasn't in the Lord's will. And she took it and she ate it and she had to pay the consequences. Lot, the land that Lot chose next to Sodom and Gomorrah, 
since it was a great land for farming and cattle. He was like, I mean, I'd be crazy not to pick this land. Look at, look at how great it is for farming. Look at all the cattle that I can have out here. The grass is great. But yet, it was next to the city known for their sins, Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities that were eventually destroyed. Genesis chapter 13, verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, and that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. So he looks at that land. Man, it's this good land. It's watered well. He goes into it. That land was good for nothing after the Lord destroyed the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sometimes those decisions that seem right, that seem good, yeah, sure, you may have a little bit of success in there. Sure, Lot probably had some great first couple of years. Well-watered land, great place for cattle, great farming area. Yeah, I'm sure it was good for a little while, but it was useless later. Lord destroyed the city. Lord destroyed the towns. That decision that you go into, yes, you may have a little bit of success in there for a little bit of time, but it's only going to be just temporary. It's not going to last. Achan confessed in Joshua chapter 7, verse 21, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, and I coveted them and took them. Achan took those spoils of war when God told him don't. Don't take it. Don't do it. And yet he took those and he had to pay for taking that which the Lord said no. Satan's alternatives are always going to be attractive. Why would he send us something that's not nearly as good as what the Lord has to offer, which it really never is as good as what the Lord has to offer, but it sure does seem like it is sometimes. Like if, to be honest with you, I, I drink way too much soda. I drink like way too much soda. Soda is my one thing I love. And so if you're going to try to tempt me, uh, let's just say I'm in a sports game, you know, I'm drinking water, drinking water, drinking water like a smart person. But and then all of a sudden I love soda, you know, I kind of crave a little bit of soda. If you're going to try to tempt me, like if you're like on the other team, you're trying to tempt me, I'm, doing, I'm having a great game. You're going to try to tempt me to drink some soda, try to like throw up in the middle of the game or something. You're not going to tempt me with a diet soda. I have no desire to drink a diet soda ever. Give me the water. Give me anything any day. Don't give me the diet soda. The devil, when he comes in our lives, when he tries to tempt us, he's not going to give us that diet soda. He's not going to give us that second rate deal. He's not going to give us something that we're not attractive to because why would we go for it? We won't. Why would we? We're not attracted to it. We don't want it. No, he's going to send us those things that we want, we desire, we want to have that appeals to our flesh. That's what the devil's going to do. There's always going to be an alternative. And Paul warns us about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, which says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works." devil is always going to have an attractive alternative to the Lord's will. There's always going to be a ship going in the opposite direction of the Lord's will. 
Jonah's decision, it was a willful decision. He knew what he was doing. He knew that he was going the exact opposite way of where the Lord wanted him to go, but he did it anyways. When we do this, we're telling him, you know what, Lord? Jonah was telling the Lord practically right to his face, I know what's best. I know better than you. Man, if Jonah could have seen what the Lord was going to do with the people of Nineveh, I guarantee you he would have made a different decision. He would have went, he would have said, where's the first ship to Nineveh? Take me right there right now. I'm going to go right now. I'm going to preach repentance. I'm going to preach that judgment that Jesus Christ is going to come and judge those people so that they can be saved. He looks at that and he says, you know what? No, I'm not going to go. If only he could see what the Lord was going to do with those people of Nineveh, he would have went, but he made a willful decision. No, I'm not going to go. I am going to rebel. Job gives us a warning, a stern warning for those who contend against God. Job chapter 9, verses 2 through 4, it says, I know it is so of a truth, but how should a man be just with God? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a, a, one of a thousand. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered. See, there's going to be no prospering when you harden yourself against God. Yes, there will be for a little bit of time. Yes, I'm sure you might be successful in whatever area for a little bit of time. But in the end, when we get to the end of our life, does it really matter what we did here on this earth? Yes, a little bit, maybe. But what really matters is that what's going to matter for all eternity? You see, when Jonah went, he wasn't thinking about that. He was thinking about temporary. He was thinking in his human reasoning. Those people are wicked. They're not going to accept this message. They're not. And he was thinking with his own mind in his own way. It was a willful decision. He willfully didn't go. He went to, decided to go in the exact opposite direction. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, when it talks about he went down to Joppa. He went down to the area that he knows is going to be the opposite way to go, the exact opposite way, and it just spiraled downward. Downward, down, 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 and it kept on being decision after decision after decision that was out of the Lord's will. And that's what happens with us. Many times when we make decision after bad decision after bad decision, we go in a downward spiral and it's hard to get back up. It's like sliding down a slide and trying to walk back up afterwards. It's a lot harder to go back up than it is to go down. Oh, sure, it's easy to go down. It's easy to make bad decision after bad decision. But after you get to a certain point, it's going to be hard to get back up to the top. It's like if I'm, I'm sure there might be some, some people out there that have struggled with maybe alcohol or, or drugs or some kind of addiction, any addiction, really, any addiction that you have. It's as soon as you go down that spiral downward, it's it's hard to get clean again. And that's why people, no matter how hard they, they try, no matter what they do to try to get back, it's going to be a struggle. Pastor Lytel talks about it all the time. He's been clean from smoking from a lo- for a long, long time. But he says even today, he still has, whenever he smells that smoke, whenever he smells that tobacco, whenever he smells those things, he still has that desire almost. And that's what happens when we keep on making bad decisions, when we keep on 
denying the Lord's will, when we keep on doing our own thing, going our own way, it's a lot harder to get back up. It's a lot harder to walk back up that slide after we slid down so far. After a string of decisions, it took a giant fish in order for Jonah to get back on track. It took a giant fish to swallow Jonah because there was no way that he was going to go. Don't wait until God has to do something extreme in your life to get you back on track. I've known some horrific things that have happened to people and they said, you know what? I was going the wrong path. I was going down the wrong path. I was going down the wrong way in life and this is about the only thing that could have gotten me back on track. They said it was worth it, but they said, don't go the way that I went. Don't go down the path that I went. Follow the Lord, do his will. Don't have God go to the extreme in order to get you back on track in life. The further down you go, the harder it is to get back up. So follow him even in the little decisions. Point number three, there is agreement on the fair. There's always going to be a payment for denying God and going the opposite way. Jonah chapter one, verse three, it talks about how Jonah paid this fare to go to the city of Tarshish that was away from God's calling. Every decision that we make in life has a cost. Sin has a cost. Every sin that we commit in this world, it has a cost. Ultimately, it costs Jesus everything. It costs Jesus to come down here on this earth to die on the cross for our sins. But see, the sad part is, obviously, we don't want to pay the wages of our sins. Jesus Christ has paid that for us. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, that's why he sent, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He died. He took the penalty of those sins. All you have to do is believe on him and you can be saved. Yes, we believe that. Many of us in this room are Christians and he's already paid the price for those sins. But many of us, obviously, we still sin. We still have a sin nature. Our old man is, is always creeps up every once in a while and tempts us to do wrong. And many times we're willing to pay whatever the cost is, whether it's a severed conscience, uh, whether it's uh, losing money, or whether it's, it could be many different things. Many of us are willing to almost pay a little bit of something for that sin. We're willing to pay a couple of sleepless nights so we can have a night of fun. And yet the next morning you wake up and you're like, oh, I, sh- I know I shouldn't have done that last night. And just the Lord gets on you. And the, hopefully the Holy Spirit, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit's gonna be on you. But yet we're almost willing to pay a little bit of cost for that little bit of pleasure. And then when it comes down to the end of it, we're like, man, that was not worth it. That was totally not worth it. Sin always has a price. Our decisions that we make always has a cost. We don't know how much it's gonna cost. In the life of David, he had to pay a massive price for his sins. David, the man after God's own heart, sinned on multiple occasions and he definitely had to pay. By the time we get to 2 Samuel 24, here's just a couple things that happened. 
He killed Uriah the Hittite. Because he killed Uriah the Hittite, his son died. His son that he would eventually have with Bathsheba, she, or he died. When David numbered the people against the Lord's will, 70,000 men died in his army because David numbered the people, because David sinned against God. That is a massive cost for one man's sin. Over 70,000 men died because he sinned. What if he could have saw that cost before he did it? He wouldn't have done it. But that's the thing. Many times we don't see the cost of our sin until afterwards. And many times you might be like, well, I, I'm willing to pay. I'm willing to pay. We don't know what the cost is going to be. It could cost us everything. It cost David so much trouble in his life, agony, pain. Imagine having to talk to those 70,000 families and be like, it was your fault that they died. They died because of you, because of your sin. The cost that he had to pay was immense. It was massive. It was huge. We don't know how much the sin is going to cost, but sin will always cost something. It's always going to come back to us one day. So that's why we need to, sometimes when we make some big decisions in our life, sit on it for a little bit. Don't just rush into some decisions. Uh, don't rush into some decisions for, like many of my college peers, run, rushing into a decision of, of what they're going to do with their life, rushing into a decision of who they're going to marry, rushing into decisions that are extremely important in their life. Take some time. Pray about decisions. Even if, even if they're small ones, pray about it. Ask what the Lord would have you do. Ask the Lord what the best decision would be for your life, because any rush decision could end up with dire consequences, with terrible consequences. I'm sure we've all made some pretty stupid, dumb impulse buys. I know I surely have. I've made so many. If you look on my Amazon list, I probably don't use half the products that I even buy. You've made some pretty dumb, stupid impulse decisions, things that you've bought, and you're like, you know what? I don't know why in the world I bought that. I don't even play guitar. I don't know why I bought a guitar. I don't do this. I don't know why I bought that. And you look at that, and you're like, I don't know what was wrong with me. So I looked up some people's answers of people that made some pretty quick decisions, and they really weren't thinking about it before they made those decisions. One man said he's, he bought the most powerful, commercially available megaphone. He said, I had and still have no need for it, but I like knowing it. I like looking at it and knowing that I have a megaphone. <laughs> it's kind of funny because I literally have a megaphone in my office, like sitting right there. So I'm like, yeah, why do I have that too? That's a good question. <laughs> Another person said he made a quick impulse buy and he said that he has night vision goggles. And he says like serious ones. These aren't like little kid toy ones. He's like, I got serious night vision goggles. He said, they're really cool. The problem is a flashlight is just so much more practical for taking out the trash and walking the dog. <laughs> he said, the neighbors always look at me like I'm a creeper or something out there with my night vision goggles taking my, taking my trash out. He made a stupid, dumb impulse buy. He wasn't thinking about what he was doing when he was in the moment. Another guy said he bought a wall-mounted unicorn head. He said, it has gold and glitter on it. And then at the very end, he says, yes, I'm an adult. <laughs> that, sounds like a college, uh, that sounds like a college purchase right there. Just 
mount the unicorn head in your college dorm room and, and you'll be good. But many of us make impulse buys, impulse purchases, but many times many of us make impulse decisions before thinking about the consequences, before thinking about the outcome. You know, if I do this, is this going to hurt someone? If I do this, is this going to make a difference five years down the road, 10 years, 100 years down the road? Is this going to make a difference, this decision that I make? Think about the choices that you're making. Think about those decisions that you're making on a day-to-day basis so you don't make some impulse decisions that could affect your life for the whole rest of your life. Delay those decisions. Take time to think about it. Pray about every decision that you make. So what happens when temptation comes in your life? When the temptation of sin comes in your life, do you enjoy the impulse of that sin? Uh, do you enjoy that sin for that little bit of time that you're going to get that joy by? Or do you, lay, or do you delay that satisfaction until you get to heaven? Delay that temporary joy for those eternal rewards. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, But there is no temptation taken you, but such is as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye might be able to bear it. Jonah had a temptation to run. He didn't want to go preach to those people of Nineveh. No way. After, they've done, after all they've done to me, after they've, all they've done to, to all these cities, no way, I'm not going to go. He had the temptation to run. No, Jonah should have taken some time to think about that decision. He knew who God was. He knew the power that he had to change those people's minds, to change those people's hearts. He made a quick decision. No, I'm not going to go. I'm going to run. And I'm going to go the opposite way. Next time you have decisions come up in your life, next time you're tempted to live contrary to God's word, think of the life of Jonah. Think of all the pain, all the suffering, everything that he had to go through in order to get back on track. Realize that Bad decisions are a downward spiral. It's a lot harder going up than it is going down. It's easy to spiral on down, bad decision after bad decision, rather than to go up, follow Christ, follow his way for your life. And realize that no matter what decision we make in this life, it's going to have a consequence. It's going to have either a good one Either it's going to be something that, you know what, this is going to matter for eternity. Vacation Bible camp, we spent a lot of money. We spent a lot of time. But you know what, that, we were able to see 16 kids get saved. 167 kids come and ride on the bus and come in person. And man, that was worth it. That was worth my time. That was worth the money. That was worth all the effort that was put into it. But what about those, what if we didn't? We could have had consequences. Those 16 kids could have been a big consequence for them. They could have not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Every decision that we make is going to have an outcome for the good or for the bad. 
Think about your decisions. Pray about it. Don't rebel against God's word. Everyone is going to have to have a payment. You're going to have to pay something. So make sure that it is worth it. Let's pray. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.